Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's our lead pastor, Matthew Malik. We have been ministering in a series entitled Generations. And we've been kind of walking through and navigating through the stages of spiritual growth in this series. And we we hope that you're able kind of to locate where you are in your spiritual journey with God. And so uh, one of the things, and, and before I get into this, I, I wanted to share something. And are, are you ready for the word? Okay, you ready for the word? Okay, I, I'm going to share the word this morning. But a question that uh, I want to ask you, are you facing any buts in your life? Now, I don't mean to be derogatory with that, but see, I said it, but Um, I know Jesus loves me, but I don't always experience his love. I I feel ashamed. I feel like he doesn't accept me. I know God promised to do this or that, but you see, the word but is often used to indicate the impossibility of anything other than what is being stated, okay? In fact, it's an argument against something. It's an objection. And, and we see in Psalms 59, in the context of this particular psalm, uh, Saul has sent out his mean dudes to go, go take David out. And, and so David is sharing this whole scenario of what he's up against. And maybe you're up against something this morning and you don't know exactly how to respond. But David responded this way, and we'll take this up in Psalms 59, starting at verse 16. And verse 16 starts out, and you can see it, but as for me, that's his objection in light of what he was facing. He says, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. Verse 17, oh, my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, O oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. This is a New Living Translation in this particular passage. In spite of whatever negative situation you may be dealing with, your but is an objection to that negative situation and an acceptance of what God has promised for you. And so with that in mind, let's join our faith together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be able to receive your word. Father, I step into the grace for the call that I've received to be able to present the word in the way that people can receive it. Father, let your truth and revelation concerning the truth come to our hearts and our minds so that we can walk in a greater understanding of our purpose. And Father, discover the plan that you have for our life. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. And everyone in agreement says, Amen. Amen simply says, I agree. Okay. Now, the stages of life. Uh, there's a statement that I want you to see in the slide. In every stage of spiritual growth, 
we are to discover and encounter a greater revelation of the love of God in every stage of spiritual growth. And now we have covered a number of areas. We've looked at birth. We start out with that, natural birth, the new birth, and the new creation, talking about our salvation encounter with Jesus when we first surrender our hearts and lives to him. It's when we make our peace with God. And that begins a journey in our life that begins to shift the direction and the focus of what we do and accomplish. And it should affect you for the rest of your life. Now, there's times people, they may accept the Lord, be walking with him for a season, and something happens, and they backslide, they walk away from God. But yet, God is always there to welcome you home, to receive you back. And that's called repentance. We turn from the, the wrong way to the right way to following him. And then we looked at the babyhood stage, and Tim Kleiner brought that message, and characteristics of the babyhood stage of growth is innocence, ignorance, and irritability. You know, uh, sometimes, uh, and, and I can just speak firsthand for a crew over here, there's times that young man gets a little bit irritable. Well, he just dropped this pacifier. That might cause something to happen. Uh, anyway, but yet there's an innocence about him. And, you know, there's uh, ignorance in the standpoint that he just doesn't know what we know because he's in a place of learning and a stage of growing. And yet he's hungry. Did you know that babies like to eat all the time? At least it seems that way. And that's why we see the scripture in 1 Peter 2.2 2 says, like newborn infants, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so as spiritual babes, in the babyhood stage, we need to grow. We need to feed on the Bible. We need to feed on God's word. And you know, you never graduate from the Bible, okay? So even when you are an adult, uh, realize that you still need to be feeding on the Word of God, correct? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then we uh, heard from Deb, my lovely wife. Pastor Deb shared on the childhood stage of growth. And, um, and she made it very clear that it's wonderful to be children, and there's so much that can be said about children, but we need to grow up. We need... Childhood is a stage of learning and growing. It includes the teenage years, but you better grow up. First Corinthians thirteen eleven states, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. In other words, when you come into adulthood, there's certain childish ways you need to put behind yourself. As an adult, when you are acting childish, it just doesn't go over real well. And you might know somebody that acts like a child even though they're an adult, okay? And then last week, we heard from Andrew Haas, and he talked about the adulthood stage of spiritual growth as we are navigating through this generation series. And he stated, by this time, and actually, we should, by this time, in this stage, we should be walking in our calling and bearing fruit. And as, uh, Andrew said, spiritual growth for adulthood does not happen by accident. It's not an accident, okay? Uh, it's determined. 
Andrew stated that we define adulthood by being conformed to the image of Christ. We grow to be more like him, conformed to his image. And in that, we are able to handle the word of God accurately through the lens of the Father's love. And first, actually, 2 Timothy 2.15 states, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So you should be proficient in the word and with the word as you begin to live this out in the lens of God's love. Not so that you're reading it in the light of condemnation, but that you allow it to bring you to a place of conviction, to a place of faith, so that you can understand and walk out this journey in the Father's love. And so today, actually, uh, we are talking about seniorhood, the seniorhood stage of growth. Now, for you younger people, this is going to be a fun one, but someday you will be there, okay? And so this is applicable, and it's better to hear it now than 60 years from now, okay? Anyway, so with, with that said, next Sunday, just a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, introduction as far as what's coming, we will have a panel discussion up here. And so we'll have different people representing different generations sharing. And so we'll be answering some relevant questions. So I think it's going to be an interesting service, so you don't want to miss it. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 119, verses 89 and 90. And this has been like a theme verse for this particular series. In Psalms 119, 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. You've established the earth, and it stands fast. So God's faithfulness is equated with the longevity of this earth and its foundation. And yet we see that his faithfulness extends through every generation. And not just those that lived in the past, but those that live in the present, those that will live in the future. And, and even the generations that are represented here, depending whether you're a millennial, whether you're Gen X, whether you're a baby boomer, the faithfulness of God extends through all those generations, okay? Now, in, in respect to the seniorhood stage, there is a verse in the book of Acts, and I'm gonna, we're going to read this and look at this. It's in Acts 2.17, um, and I'm just going to read it, and then I'll explain it, okay? And this was on the day of Pentecost, to give you a backdrop. This was the day that the Holy Spirit fell on the 120 that were gathered in the upper room. They were filled with the Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues, and the power of God came and met the people in a very significant way. So Peter got up and started to share the word. And this was part of his message that day. Verse 17. In the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Some versions say all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Now notice, and your old men shall dream dreams. You know, I, I often wonder why the old men dreamed the dreams and the young men have the visions. 
It's because the older you get, the more you like to sleep, okay? <laughs> anyway, with that being said, God includes the old men in the outpouring of the Spirit in the last days. Now, what's interesting about this, because Peter referenced that at the time of Pentecost, that this was a sign of the time and that those were the last days. So we can rightfully say that this day that we're living in right now is the last of the last days. And so how much more relevant is this passage to you and I in what God is wanting to do in the earth and pouring out his spirit upon us? Now, when we talk about seniorhood, the word legacy comes to mind, okay? And we want to talk about that a little bit. Now, seniorhood is wisdom, paving the way, leaving a legacy, passing the baton. It has all of those connotations associated with it. Now, seniorhood is not just about discounts at the restaurant or the movie theater or being part of the card club. Now, when I turned 55, I qualified for the senior discount at Perkins. And I kind of like that. But when I looked at the senior menu, the portions were smaller. I didn't like that. But, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting adjusted with, with all that. And um, some of you are there on the same page with me, but um, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> now, according to Google, and you can't always trust Google, but I thought I'd share this this morning. A senior citizen, according to Google, is an elderly person, especially one who is retired and living on a pension. I thought, now that's pretty limited in its definition. And, and so, now that might be okay, but there's a whole lot more to it than that if we're going to define seniorhood, okay? And so, uh, I believe uh, that this doesn't accurately define a senior citizen. We want to expand this definition. Now, in our culture that we live in, there are, uh, the seniors are either high school students, um, they could be, you know, the elderly. They could be senior associates at a business or a company. They could be pastor. In fact, I used to have the title of senior pastor, and I didn't like that. So now it's lead pastor. I like that better. <laughs> but senior has that connotation of one who leads, one who is in the forefront, one who's taking a stand, one who's paving the way, Okay. So it does have that connotation. Now, senior may mean older, but not necessarily old, okay? It means to be mature, seasoned, experienced, and wise. One who takes the lead. When we define uh, seniorhood, that's what we're talking about. Now, Merriam-Webster, I, I like this, defines senior as higher ranking, superior, uh, which could be a senior officer of a corporation or a company. Uh, it is also a description uh, for older or more experienced people, okay, uh, holding a high and authoritative position, such as an elder. Uh, it's not, and, and realize it's not just a reference to age, but it's a reference to position, okay? And God is wanting to position us for greatness and position us to accomplish a lot for him. 
And, and, and so and I, I want to encourage you to at some point study uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. It talks about being fruitful. It talks about how God has ordained us to bear fruit and to be productive. There's not a human being that cannot be productive on this earth because God placed within us the potential and the ability to be highly productive to accomplish great things on this planet. All right. So what place or role do seniors have in our culture, our society, or even in the culture of the church? Well, they have wisdom. They are seasoned. You know, the aged, uh, when you think about aged cheese, hey, some people love that stuff, okay? Uh, it, It has value, okay? Because it's taken time to get to the place where it is, okay? Um, aged cheese is a delicacy. Something aged has value. Our senior citizens have value, so don't disregard them. Don't disqualify them. See, I can't talk about this subject without mentioning my mom. My mom is 89 going on 90. And to this day, she is still a spitfire. I have to be careful that I don't say something that will get her upset, okay? Because she has her mind made up. But there's something about my mom. She probably has a record for being on hospice for the last um, almost two years now. She's been on hospice care. She said, if something happens to me, I don't want to ride in the ambulance to the hospital. It's it. I'm ready to meet Jesus. I made my peace with God. I'm ready to go. But yet, God is still using her to minister to everyone that comes into her room. She uh, is a resident at Brookdale, assisted living. And she ministers to them, encourages them, compliments them, builds them up, offering to pray with them. I mean, she is bold in her faith. What does she have to lose, you know? You know, if they reject Jesus, uh, it's their issue, you know. But my mom is passionate about loving people and showing kindness. And she does not complain. Now, that's a rare, that's a rare commodity uh, among older people. She does not complain about her aches and pains and all that stuff. She is just a blessing in so many ways. And, and she said, if I die, don't raise me from the dead. Just let me go peacefully. You know, she's, you know, so, yeah. So here's a statement. Seniors, or we could say the elderly, are a bridge to our future. I believe I have a slide for that. They're really a bridge to our future, and you need to consider that. Seniors are to be honored and respected, so don't disregard them. It's interesting. We see in Leviticus 19.32, it says, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. This was a command given in Leviticus through Moses as far as the, the benchmark of how we're to treat the elderly. And, and so take that to heart. And, and if you're convicted, because sometimes we can say, oh, that's just old codger. You get behind an older person, they're driving a little slow. And you get impatient. And when you pass them, you realize, oh, they should have their driver's license revoked. And, and maybe, yeah, they should. But honor them, respect them, okay? 
seen used in the kingdom of God. If we identify where they should be at, they should have come to discover their true identity in Jesus Christ. Seniorhood is a place spiritually where you are living out of the new life in Christ Jesus, where you put off the old man, where you've dealt with issues and are walking in the freedom and the knowledge of God. And, and so there's so many things we can attribute to the uh, uh, seniorhood stage of our spiritual growth. But it's also a place of impartation. It's a place of release to the next generation and how we can impart to this next generation what they need to succeed and uh, do life successfully. Now, realize that old does not have to be decrepit, worn out, or ruined because of age or neglect. Okay? And I just want to throw that out there. Our senior saints are to be mature and still pressing on. They should not retire. They should refire. Right? And this couple here, the Grunwalds, and we have the Weemers. Where are the Weemers? They moved on me. Oh, okay, back there, Bill. Okay. Oh, they're not sitting next to each other, are you? Oh, what? Okay. Oh, he's a host. Okay, he's doing his. his okay. Okay, just trying to locate you. How, how many people that we have in here that are 80 or older? Okay, raise your hands. It's probably these couples here. Uh, we honor you. We respect you for what you've done and for the example that you are to us. Let's give them a hand. Amen. So this is what the Bible says as a word of encouragement to those in the seniorhood stage of of their walk with God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, and we could insert the senior, in the seniorhood stage of Christianity, and let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And, you know, I just noticed Dolores back there, too. That woman, we need to give a special applause to Dolores. I mean, we won't mention her age. But honestly, her new sister and her sister Bernice has gone home to be with Jesus. They are the reason that I'm standing in this pulpit today. They're the reason that I returned back to my hometown and planted this church 36 years ago. Thank you, Dolores, for your investment. And she is a wise woman. She will always have a word of encouragement for you. So I encourage you, younger people, get to know Dolores. Get to know the Grunwalds. Get to know the Weemers. They'll be a blessing to you in so many ways. Hebrews 5, verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature. See, they're not going to get choked up on steak, okay? Um, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, that's a quality of the seniorhood stage of our spiritual growth. You have discernment. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have it at a younger age because you certainly can and should. 
But the older you get, the greater your discernment becomes. The greater your discernment becomes. And, and I don't know, Kurt, if I want to include you. He, he's still young. You're only 70. Yeah, that's young. I'm not far behind you. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking of the 80 and older crowd, but yeah. Uh, and I can remember when Kurt went with me to Africa. Um, they had asked him, we were in Uganda, said, would you preach to the youth? And he said, well, I've, yeah, I guess I will. I'll do whatever he came to serve. And so they announced him that when he came to the uh, platform to minister to all these pastors and leaders. I think there were, there were several thousand there. And, and they introduced him as an anointed youth minister from America. And so that's kind of, so that's still on you, okay? <laughs> okay. Yes, okay. Yeah. So I want to talk about, in the time remaining, oh, I want to talk briefly about three people of the Bible. And I think you may have heard of these fellows at one point or another, Moses, David, and Hezekiah. Moses, what an example we see for leaving a legacy. In Deuteronomy 34, 7, at the end of his life, the scripture reads, Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as ever. Now, 120, you're in pretty good shape. If you can see, you don't need glasses, and your strength hasn't abated, or um, it's, you know, like, it's there. He had it all together. Now, what's interesting because Moses gazed into the promised land but didn't go in. He got to go up and look at it from the top of the mountain and look over the Jordan River and peer into the promised land. Yet he prepared Joshua and the next generation to go in. He could have felt cheated. He could have felt left out. But his joy was to prepare the next generation to go in. And Moses prepared Joshua. Everything he did prepared, it helped prepare Joshua to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. Now, even though he didn't experience the promised land, he was part of that vision. And he was able, he was an integral part of the children of Israel coming out of the bondage of Egypt into the place of promise that God had given to the forefathers. Moses started his mission when he was 80 years old. See, age was not a factor when God called him from a burning bush. And so you might say, well, I've just wasted too much of my life. Age is not necessarily a factor concerning your situation right now. It's a, it's a matter of making a decision of choice. See, the best is yet to come. I, I want to share about a few individuals that they started out maybe later in life. In 2016, you may have seen the movie, The Founder uh, was released. It was a film, a film retelling the incredible story of Ray Kroc, who is known for founding McDonald's. He was 59 years old when he bought his first McDonald's. You know, and, and all of you have had the Big Mac or something from there, the, um, the chicken, whatever, nuggets, yeah. Okay, you've had some of that, okay? Now, the chicken tenders are pretty good. Michaela brought some over uh, last night and, and treated mom and dad, which that's good when your kids bring something over like that. So thank you, Michaela. Uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder, 
published her first book in 1932 when she was 65 years old. Little House on the Prairie became a hit for children. Her books were used as the inspiration of the storyline behind Little House on the Prairie. How many of you watched that? Now, uh, yeah, I, I, okay, all the baby boomers, the next generation, okay, yes. But wonderful, wonderful series. Um, Harlan Sanders is famous for uh, creating Kentucky Fried Chicken. Did you know he is 62 years old when his franchise KFC began? 62 years old. Well, you know, think about it. I mean, because his picture is on the bucket of the chicken. If he was 20 at the time, it just wouldn't be the same, okay? <laughs> yeah, okay. And then we have, Har- um, we have Anna Mary Robertson Moses. How many of you know who that is? She's known as Grandma Moses. Uh, the celebrated American folk painter, she actually took up painting at the age of 78. And, you know, her paintings actually be- were put on postage stamps. That's, you know, I, nothing I've ever done was put on a postage stamp, so that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and then in 2016, one of her paintings sold for over $1 million. She lived to be 101, okay? So you get a later start on something, don't be discouraged, you know. There's, there's opportunity. Then we have Harry Bernstein. He published his memoir called The Invisible Wall a love story that broke barriers at the age of 96. And believe it or not, he went on to write two more books after that. So, hey, you can still get in the game. Let's talk about David, okay? And David gave thought to when he would be old. Even as a young man, he was thinking about the future. He was thinking about legacy. In Psalm 71, verse 9, his prayer, his plea to God was, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Don't forget about me, God. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. So his plea and his cry to God was in that light. What about the next generation? Uh, Later, it's stated in this same psalm, in Psalm 71, verse 17. This is his words. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Verse 18. So even to the old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. See, his passion was to proclaim the wondrous works of God to the next generation. So in the seniorhood stage of spiritual growth, that's our role, to impart to this next generation. Now, what's interesting about David, he, even though he's not known for building Solomon's temple, in fact, it's called Solomon's temple. It was like the greatest feat of architecture building that was built in the ancient world. Uh, If we were to rebuild it today, it would be costly and quite impressive. But Solomon's temple was David's vision. David paved the way. Even though he didn't experience it, he was a part of what was to come in the completion of that temple of Solomon. And, and so he had the blueprints. He had the 
finances raised. He had everything in place for Solomon to succeed. He, he basically set up his son Solomon to succeed. And so that's, that's a passion of leaving legacy. The third person I want to talk about is Hezekiah. And I'm moving through this, but we, we want to uh, get through some things here that I believe are relevant. And, and with Hezekiah, I used to really think that he was such a great king, and he was. He did great things. He loved God. He fought battles. He defeated enemies. He stood true and strong to the Lord. But yet, there was something that went wrong in his life, and I don't quite understand it. See, there are pitfalls or weaknesses of every generation. We need to understand that. Now, seniors can be well set in their ways, stubborn, reluctant to change. Um, and and, and, and our, our warning to those in the seniorhood stage of, of their growth is to remain teachable no matter what. Remain teachable. And this is what we see in Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, starting at verse 16. The prophet Isaiah comes to him and gives him a prophetic word concerning the future. And he said, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Verse 18, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs or eunuchs in the place of the king of Babylon. Now, I don't want to be graphic here, but a eunuch was an eunuch. I always get those two confused. Eunuch. I believe it's eunuch. A eunuch is a castrated male. And they castrate them so that they bring them under their control in a place of slavery, in servanthood, forced. Okay? And so this is what is being prophesied concerning what's going to become of Hezekiah's sons. Okay? That's not a good thing. But, verse 19 then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, Why not if there will be peace and security in my days? Wow. Think about Hezekiah. He had no regard for his children, his grandchildren, and what was coming in the next generation the judgment that would befall the nation. Now, for me, I don't know about you, but that would break my heart if that was something forecast for the future. And my whole passion and effort would be, what can we do to change it, prevent it? Because when it comes to my children and grandchildren, I want them to live in a better world that I lived in. I want them to have more than I had. And we're... Deb and I are willing to lay everything on the line for the next generation. And even spiritually for this church, we want to lay everything on the line for the next generation. We don't want this ministry to diminish when we're gone. We want it to explode and go far beyond what we've ever done over the last 36 years. Okay? So we are investing in the next generation. You know, not many churches our size 
hire somebody and bring them on staff that is a next-gen leader. Why have we done that? Because that's our passion. We want to minister to the next generation. And I believe God is building a lead team here for us to accomplish that together. Amen? Okay? I'm not just talking to myself, am I? Okay. <laughs> Leaving a legacy. End of life. Oh, I got to tell this. This week I'm on, on call. I serve as a chaplain for Portage County uh, Emergency Services. So I got a call yesterday, uh, and I went out to an assisted living home in the community, and a man had just died. And I met with his wife, one of his sons, and then another son came a little bit later, uh, and just there to minister comfort and strength to that family during that difficult time. And, and then there were two staff people there that needed to talk to me, one with, uh, that I actually prayed and led to Jesus to accept the Christ. But in, in those moments, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm going to be preaching about this, and I'm looking at this family who just lost um, a loved one. Uh, this woman was, and this man were married for 65 years. And, and I always like to say, tell me about his life. Tell me what he did. And they, they had all these wonderful things to share about him and encouraging that family that he has left a legacy for you. He has left a legacy for you. And now realize this. When it comes to leaving a legacy, now is the time to begin to think about it. See, you can make an impact on this side of eternity. You really can. And it depends on what decisions you make today, decisions you make right now. Um, leaving a legacy, I have a slide here for you. Just look at that, write that down if you're taking notes. Leaving a legacy isn't a choice. We're all going to leave one, yet the kind of legacy you leave is determined by you. You determine it. You determine it. We see in Proverbs 13.22 where King Solomon wrote, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. What do those words mean to you and to me? For a moment, picture your 80th birthday. Now, some of you, that's history, right? <laughs> that's past. But picture your 80th birthday. Now, if you haven't lived it yet, how, that's kind of hard for you to grasp, you know? Cole, picture your 80th birthday. Oh, <laughs> How do we grasp that? Um, can you picture what will be said about you at your funeral? Oh, why are you talking about that, Pastor? Who's going to give the eulogy at your funeral? Uh, what will people miss about you? What positive attributes will people associate with you? And what words do you want etched on your tombstone? You know, those are all things we don't think about. But the older we get, we start to think about those things. Questions that will help you identify the legacy that you wish to leave are this. Question, what do you want your life to stand for? How do you want to be remembered by your family and your friends? What will those 
beyond your circle of family and friends remember you for? These are just questions. Consider and ponder. What kind of impact do you want to leave on, on your community? How will the world be a better place because you were in it? Whose lives will you have touched? And what lessons would you like to pass on to future generations? And so there's, there's ways to leave a legacy, and I just have four of these, and I'll share these, and we're going to wrap this up in just a few minutes. Number one, serve the purpose of God and the call of God for your life. If you don't know what it is, it's your responsibility to discover it. Seek the Lord. Find out, Lord, what is the purpose you created me for? What is the reason that I'm alive? God may have spared you from certain death on numerous times, and you think, why am I still here? It's because God has a plan for you. You need to, dis- you need to discover. Number two, be a Christ-like role model, an example that others can follow. Number three, be a servant, a volunteer, a giver. That way you can impact lives. And then number four, be a mentor to others. Who can you invest in? Whose life can you build up? Because you can warn people to avoid the pitfalls that you experienced in life that can help them so they don't have to go through the junk you went through. Benjamin Franklin, here's a quote from him. If you would not be forgotten as soon as you are dead. It's, you know, they talked a little different back then, Okay. If you would not be forgotten as soon as you are dead, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing. Yeah, that's good. Benjamin Franklin, he was a man of wit. Billy Graham, who's gone home to be with the Lord in recent years, he stated, our days are numbered. One of the primary goals in our lives should be to prepare for our last day. The legacy we leave is not just in our possessions, but in the quality of our lives. What preparations should we be making now? That gives us some real food for thought. And, you know, something I think about Deb's parents, because both her mom and dad passed within the space of a year. Her dad just passed away last month. And they thought about legacy, and they prepared for it. The worship team can come on up. Come on up. And they put things in place. And Deb has been appointed as executive of the will and all that. Um, But things are in place to make it so much easier for her and her siblings. Her parents thought about them and what would happen once they were gone. And, and I respect them. I have great respect for them for that. And here's another quote by Shannon Alder. Carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. A legacy is etched into the minds of others and the stories they share about you. So as we conclude this service, the question I want to ask you is, what will your legacy be? What will live on after you are gone? Just think about that for a moment. In Psalms 89.1, the psalmist declares, I will sing 
of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Wow. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I've not made a personal commitment of my life to Jesus Christ. If I were to pass, I don't know that my life is right with God. I'm uncertain whether I'd go to heaven or hell. Maybe that's your condition this morning. So I want to extend to you an invitation for you to make your peace with God. For you to open your heart to Jesus and welcome him into your life as your Lord and Savior. And maybe for some of you, you've done that. That's great. But maybe in the way you've kind of stumbled in your journey, and it's time to reassess and recommit your life to Jesus. And so I'm going to lead you in what I call a believer's prayer. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Because I don't know that my life is right with God, and I'm willing to give my heart to Jesus today. I'm willing to get right with God today. If that's you, just lift your hand. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for lifting your hands. Let's stand together. We're going to pray this believer's prayer together as we honor the Lord. Just in his presence, just close your eyes. And as you stand here, understand that the Spirit of God is moving in this place. And he's ministering to you in this very moment to touch your hurt, to touch the heartache and the pain. Jesus came as an answer. He came as Savior, as Deliverer, as one to break the bondages of addiction, as one to set you free from fear, from pain, and from the judgment of eternal hellfire that we all most certainly deserve. He came as a substitute to take your place, to die for your sins on the cross so that you could be free, so that you could share eternity with Him. Now repeat this prayer after me and mean it from your heart. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I repent from my sins. I turn from my way to you today. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you are the giver of life. I receive you now. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, we pray for everyone here under the sound of my voice. Father, that you would allow them to come to a place where they truly understand legacy, where they can leave a legacy. Father, that you are working in them now to establish them for a successful future. In Jesus' name, we give you praise and glory. Amen. We're going to honor him with a song, and, and the prayer team will be up here in a moment. But God bless you. Thank you for being so receptive to the Word of God. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.